Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. The ultra-melodic, hook-laden music of Phoenix has been inescapable this year. Now you can hear the French imports perform in a rare, stripped-down setting. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis of Vocalo.org. We'll also have a review of soul singer Betty Lovett's interpretation of British rock classics. That's coming up today on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. Lots of news in the concert business this week. The concert industry is about to enter its biggest part of the year. Summer is when the concert industry makes two-thirds of its income, Jim. And you, too, has dropped out of the concert business this summer. That's a major blow. Lead singer Bono had emergency back surgery. We don't have a lot of details about why he went in for this surgery. Oh, I know. All that pressure from carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders just wreaks havoc with your back. That clears that up. You know, I was wondering what happened with poor Bono. He's going to be out for the summer uh, recovering from this back surgery. It's going to cost Live Nation to lose both U2 and Christina Aguilera. They announced cancellations of their tours on the same day. U2 last year on its tour made $300 million on that 360-degree in-the-round tour where they brought this uh, mega contraption into stadiums around the world. They were expected to make another $200 million this summer on 16 U.S. shows. Christina Aguilera, too, another major anticipated tour. First album in several years is about to come out. She was expected to do 20 amphitheater dates. That was supposed to bring in some big bucks for Live Nation. Both these artists are intimately connected with the largest concert promoter in the world, and now they are being pulled out of the equation. Live Nation says it can withstand the blow. I mean, after all, they sold 140 million tickets to 21,000 shows last summer, Jim. But let's face it, these stadium and amphitheater tours are where they make their bread. And the fact that the two of the biggest headliners this summer are no longer in the game is going to really hurt their bottom line. Absolutely, Greg. On a smaller scale, the uh, concert business in Arizona may be taking a serious hit because of that controversial new immigration enforcement law. Artists are saying, we're not going to play Arizona because we don't believe in what you're doing. So far, it's not a lot of big names. Hip-hop acts Pitbull and Cypress Hill have canceled shows. Banda star Jenny Rivera, the Mexican acts Conjunto Primavera and Espinosa Paz. But there's another side to this. I've been reading some of the punk rock underground rock message boards, and a lot of punk bands are saying, 
don't cancel your gigs in Arizona. Now more than ever, we need to play that state mm-hmm. to voice music in opposition, to show that there are people who disagree with this law and disagree with the kind of thinking that led to it. We should play six gigs in Arizona instead <laughs> of the one we had scheduled. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, Greg, in New York, we're seeing a really interesting development in this ongoing story about the secondary ticket market, which you and I prefer to call scalping. Hmm. It's been a big source of controversy over the last two years as the Ticketmaster Live Nation merger has gone through, and those two entities are expected to make it even easier for people to charge as much as they please. Buy a $30 ticket, resell it for $300, no problem. A lot of people disagree with that being the business model for the concert industry. The state of New York had a law on the books which allowed people to resell tickets online for whatever they pleased. That just expired. Governor Patterson, in the words of the Daily News, is going nuclear in his fight against ticket resellers. He is pointing out that there's a law from the 1920s, which is still in effect now that this other law has expired, which says you can't resell a ticket for any more than $2 above the face price. And he is going to Attorney General Andrew Cuomo and saying, enforce this. Don't let StubHub and all these secondary ticket brokers, people on eBay, resell tickets for more than two bucks. The ticketing industry, of course, is adamantly against this. Mm -hmm. They want to make as much money as they can, and the state legislature is in their pocket. The question is, will the governor and the attorney general be able to keep this law enforced before the legislature passes a new law saying, yes, you greedy ticket resellers, you can get as much money as you want? Well, Jim, what's amazing to me, though, is that the concert industry is making a lot more money on ticket sales. In fact, ticket sales have increased 140% in the last decade. And it's unbelievable what people will pay for certain privileges at rock concerts. Remember when the Eagles broke the $100 ticket barrier about 15 years ago? What an outrage that was. Now that's just like standard issue. I think it all started on Broadway, actually, about a decade ago when we started selling tickets for like 480 bucks. You're going, okay, that's Broadway, but the concert industry is different. Now there's very little difference at all. The Justin Bieber tour, fans are paying 350 bucks just for the privilege of attending a pre-show sound check. That Aguilera tour that just got canceled, she was going to charge fans $800 for a photo opportunity. The Eagles tour, you know, remember the Eagles with their $100 ticket? Yeah. Now for 900 bucks, you can get dinner before the show with the Eagles and then see the show. I love the Bon Jovi deal. For <laughs> $1,875, you get a chair, a leather bag, and a catered meal. In addition, I suppose, to the Bon Jovi concert. It's amazing what people will still pay for concert tickets. Greg, I just think it's sad. I am an idealist. I believe that there should still be some democracy in rock and roll the ultimate democratic art form, that the kid at home with no money and no clout has the same chance as the really rich Wall Street broker in getting that front row seat. And it's becoming, you know, that thing that John Lennon mocked when they did the command uh, variety performance for the Queen. Those in the cheap seats, clap your hands, the rest of you rattle your jewelry. It, It just turns my stomach. And until people vote with their wallets and don't patronize these kind of scams to make more money by these artists, it's not going to change. Ideas get the 
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's the song 1901 by the French pop band Phoenix. Their 2009 album Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix was a breakthrough hit last year. In fact, it made both of our lists for the top records of the year. In addition, many listeners are going to recognize that track from a now ubiquitous commercial for Cadillac. That's right, Craig. Phoenix went from playing small clubs to selling out major venues, joining the ranks of other hit French bands like Air and Daft Punk, and I think surpassing both of them. We talked to the members of the band about that meteoric rise when they were in the studio with us last fall. We are here with the four members of Phoenix, Thomas, Deck, Laurent, and Christian. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All four of you in uh, kind of a stripped-down acoustic mode today. It, it's interesting because I think the band has made four albums where just two and a half months ago you guys were playing clubs and now you're playing theaters four or five times that size. It's been a, a whirlwind year for this band. But it started out relatively modestly, right, Thomas? It was... Uh, what was the vision of the band when you guys got together in the, back in the 90s in, in France? Um, well, we really started as a studio band. Well, we grew up in Versailles, which is very close to Paris. We There was not an audience. I mean, we, we wouldn't even uh, think about playing live because there was no venues and there was no... And we just couldn't relate to uh, a lot of people in Versailles, which is like a cult in a way. Uh, it's a very strict city and a very... Hmm. Uh, it makes you feel different, which is nice, I guess. That's the best gift it gave us. But uh, So we started and we played in the studio um, for, I don't know, many years. And we were really fascinated more about being producers than and songwriters than, than playing live first. So uh, confined initially to the studio, early mentors uh, early on were the guys in air. Uh, another studio outfit, was that a model for what you wanted to do? Not really. It was more uh, a coincidence. Mm. They are, they came from the exact same neighborhood as as we do, but we didn't really know them. They were like three years older, which is a lot when you're yeah when you're a kid, and they were signed to the same label as us. And we really loved their fir- their first EPs. They were really good and really uh, they they shared the same vision as as we do. So when they needed a band for you know, playing some radio shows, they found us. We were on the same label. We were writing our first album. So it was more a coincidence, a very good one. Well, when you say you shared the same vision with Air, what do you mean by that? We kind of shared the same records, I would say. We had the same uh, record collection, basically. I think it's the, the thing that unites all the French bands, you know, like Daft Punk and... Sebastian Tellier, maybe you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, this record we really cherished. Some of them were French, uh, very few actually. Serge Gainsbourg mainly. Ça, c'est l'histoire de Melody Nelson. 
quatre par moi-même Personne N'a jamais pris dans ses bras Ça vous étonne Mais c'est comme ça But we also had this cult of, you know, American and English music and German music too. So, uh, yeah, we're, it was really a thing about records. Can you name a couple that were like, big for you at that point? Uh, from this period, it was more like My Bloody Valentine's and stuff like that. And from a lot of records from the past. You know, we were in such a, living in such a boring city that records <laughs> were really the only thing we could, you know feel passionate about so we had this cult for some records we we could you know stare at the covers for hours mm -hmm. you know here you 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 go out and there's a jazz club that's been there forever mm -hmm. when we go out we have these beautiful buildings but uh, there's no one in, in there it's only <laughs> there's no soundtrack <laughs> to museums Gee, really. how boring to live in <laughs> france <laughs> 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 uh, versailles is very very strange because it's you know it's living in its past yeah. so i guess it really shaped us in a very weird uh, well, if, if we can generalize as rock critics, which is one of the things we do, ah. uh, <laughs> although although there are huge differences in the sounds of, of Air, of Daft Punk, of Phoenix, I, I think it all shares this fondness for psychedelic uh, music in the sense not of having any connection to drugs, but in creating this really unique world in the space between your headphones. Yeah, uh, I think that the fact that we, we are really listening to records more than live bands and that yeah. for us music is this particular way, you know, a record sounds. We don't really like a guitar, but more the way a, a guitar sounds on a record, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's a very important thing for us, you know, the way the, the membrane of the speaker is vibrating. That's mm -hmm. what we are into. with the, yeah, we're into that combination that really creates something. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I was reading some stories about you in the early days, and apparently you did get out and play a few shows. You, there was this sense of we're not really sure what kind of a band we're going to be, but you know, doing everything from Hank Williams covers to, to well, Prince. Well, right? We're still not sure which kind of band we're going <laughs> to yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's true. The beginning was, I mean, it was a marketing nightmare for record companies. <laughs> we were just uh, the worst band they could... Growing up in Versailles, there's nothing, there's no scene there. So you don't need to belong to, uh, you know, you're not with the goth kids or you're not with the, you're, you're just the only kid that's playing music. And what's nice is that, that we, we kind of enjoy how we do records more than when we play live. So we, it, it's all about the records in the end, you know, it's the thing that's going to last. And, uh, mm -hmm. and the live show came uh, crescendo. I mean, it was, in the beginning, we were just the worst live band. And, you know. <laughs> a long way you've traveled, though, yeah. over the course of Thanks. four albums and, and an American tour that's selling out many of the shows in four and 5,000 seed venues. And now uh, we've got two of you here with acoustic guitars and we have a small keyboard. You're going to play something for us, right? Yes. That's the way we do... Uh, that's kind of the way we do our demos in a studio. So this is how it would start, in the rehearsal space? Yeah, yeah, basically, yes. So can you set up uh, set up the song for us? What, yes. what are you going to play? Um, I think Listomania first. Ah.
Alakura, Alakura, no! Not easily offended, not hard to let it go. From a mess to the masses, a list of many of less we did grow. Stuff. Listomania from Phoenix from uh, album number four, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Absolutely one of the songs of the year, isn't it, Greg? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where to go, I had no idea. 2016 was the price to pay. <laughs> a messed up kid with no ideals at all. I thought those 2016, I shouldn't give them away. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media, more of our interview with the French rockers Phoenix. Later on, we're going to review the new album from soul singer Betty LeVette, and I'll play a song I can't live without from the Desert Island Jukebox. I was looking around town, thinking the same as you.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim Deergottis, and I'm here with Greg Cott, and you are listening to the album version of Listomania, the hit single by the French pop band Phoenix. It's not often you get to hear great pop music inspired by a 19th century composer. So when the band was in the studio last year, I had to ask lead singer Thomas Mars about the song's Hungarian namesake. A listomania, think let's but see it grow, like a ride, like a ride, oh. As a fan of history, I have to ask, I've read that you were inspired in part by the notion that Franz Liszt in the 1800s was inspiring a sort of, you know, pop lunacy among his followers, and that that was a jumping off point for this uh, song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what we like in lyrics in general is that they're very cryptic and very, uh, because I guess it's the way we discover music for us being... 13 or 14 and listening to um, English, American, and even Serge Gainsbourg, which is very cryptic when you're 13. Uh, yeah. Mm. We, <laughs> yeah. We, you have to be a little older to understand yeah. what he's going on about. Yeah. It's very, um, it's just, you think that those guys are, are telling you about your life. And I think that's the thing we we like to recreate. And mm. um, so the songs are a mashup of a lot of things. And France Liszt is one, he's basically one of the first uh, rock stars. He's uh, yeah. he was he would lose credibility because he would get girls and throw his green gloves at the crowd and yeah. Uh, and, well, uh, and that's a vibe that that was similar to uh, you. You have a relationship with the the brilliant American film director Sofia Coppola. Uh, that's what she did when she told the story of Marie Antoinette too. Was kind of trying to look with a bit of a modern eye towards history, right? Sometimes I wish we could combine both, and that's what we were trying to do. Because in Europe, we have this this history, which is amazing and great for inspiration and a lot mm. of things. But the problem with an old continent is that you're not as free as you you want. You know, you it's really hard to move things. For instance, we played in Denver in Red Rocks the other day. And just the fact that you built an amphitheater and you destroy the rocks and you build an amphitheater <laughs> is something that's <laughs> unthinkable in Europe. See, that might not be such a good idea in America, though, you know, really. I mean, it's, for me, I love this idea. I yeah. think it's great that you have this freedom and you're building, you know, the present is very important. Well, it's interesting because you do reference the past a lot, and you were talking about it earlier, about being around all these beautiful buildings and, and how that can be both a plus and a minus in some ways. So referencing these these historical references and even just the song titles, 1901 or Armistice or Versailles, or can you sort of take a wider lens on this and see, has that had anything to do with, uh, frankly, a, a, a pretty explosive burst of activity in the French music scene in the last te- decade? I mean, just a lot of cool bands seem to be coming out of France lately. Is that tying in at all with some of this historical context that you were um, talking about earlier? Maybe, yeah. I think the the main factor is the fact that we could, in the mid-90s, we could technically record an album in our bedroom. So that's what we all did, actually, all those bands. Because before that, you had to find, you know, a record company, and nobody really cared in France, and nobody thought it was possible to talk to the world and not just the French market, which is very, very boring and sad. Hmm. So when when we were able to do it, we did it, and then... You know, we had to uh, to have a global vision, you know, so mm. we, we took the time. We had time, you know, when, when you're good in France, you know, nobody cares. So you have time to develop, you know, here when you're good at 12, someone is going to find you <laughs> and put you on TV. <laughs> is, is that why you chose to sing in English? 
We chose because uh, we had this, you know, romantic vision of pop music, you know, as something uh, global, you know, and uh, we knew that language of music, of pop music, was English, you know. It's like when you you want to sail, you don't you don't go to Switzerland, you know. We <laughs> you you want to go to the Atlantic Sea and the Pacific, and mm-hmm. we wanted to to go where things happen. Mm-hmm. So it was just yeah, this a conscious move to. Um, to have a good life. <laughs> There's n- no resentment about that, that, that you have to be taken on the terms of, of the uh, British and, and American pop charts, and you can't just be, you know, we're a French band. <laughs> no, it's so, to us it's just a convention. Mm. Uh, we use the l- English language in a b- weird way, I guess. But we talk with a French mentality, I guess. Yeah, mm. So we're suckers over here for that, Laurent. You know, <laughs> you can talk in that French accent all day, and we'll just eat <laughs> it up, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, we noticed that. <laughs> but, but, but Laurent, you were talking about you know forming this band in the mid '90s, and the scene was very different then. Uh, there was a sense of w- what is happening in France. We've never heard of any of these bands, and you know the last ten years obviously quite a lot different. What what changed around that time? Was why all these bands now? Yeah, so, yeah. The the I technical the aspect studio, yeah. is very very important. It's crucial. The fact that we were free to do a record, you know. Mm-hmm. without compromise and without you know being you know even sure it would come out but we could do it so the technology opened technology it up. was a key factor and then there maybe when we are able to do it there's this tradition in france of you know aesthetical movements maybe we have that in our blood the fact we we know that you have to build a, like a aesthetical vision you know like the nouvelle vague cinema and all the things and it was al- always based on, uh, you know, vision of art in general. You know, mm-hmm. mm. no, we are, we we f- we we believe we are we are like a secret society in France <laughs> of very few people that believe that music is like, you know, even pop music is one of the highest forms of human uh, activity. <laughs> uh, how about another song, guys? Yes, it's a it's a it's playground love. It's a song we. We wrote thirty three percent of it, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the other sixty six percent. It was L, the man. L. Yes. I'm a high school lover. You're my favorite flavor Our love is all On my soul You're my playground love Yet my hands are shaking It fills my body remain Times no matter I'm on fire On this playground love You're the piece of gold That flushes on my soul And it 
you're my playground love. Beautiful stuff. Playground love from Phoenix. So four albums in, guys, and you know, you were joking about this earlier, Toma, but you know, still nobody quite knows what to make of the band. Although you, now you've, you're having this this great success, just writing great songs. It seems like that's at the at the bottom of it. It's about a great pop song. It seems to me like that. If there is one thing that holds together those four albums and say, what's the common thread here? It seems to be like that. That was the goal. Always write a a good three four minute pop song. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we love that this. Uh, we love this format. You know. It's like in poetry, you know, it's a very precise, uh, precise rules. We love rules. <laughs> Just to be, when you know the rules, you you know how to break the rules. But it seems like the standards are pretty high. So, I mean, how does the songwriting work? And is it something that you guys agree on instantly? Or are you guys in fist fights by the end of uh, <laughs> the process? A very, very long, very organic, very mysterious process. We sit like that for hours. And usually we always have this illusion that we're going to come come up with a, the product of our, you know, expertise, our genius, and, <laughs> and create a song, you know. But it never works like that. <laughs> when we do that, we always end up with something very uh, normal, very boring. And what we are expecting, you know, in, this, in all this is just this emotion where something uh, alien, you know, something you don't know yet is happens so we just work and en- work endlessly until this happens and usually it's more the product of luck and mistake than uh, of our personal qualities you know our personal ge- uh, genius mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> each other you know so well that we can you know uh, we can do that so you can tell each other when something's not up to par yeah what's i think what's interesting is that it only works when we're the four of us uh each member taking separately is is just nothing really interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> no no one can write a song on its own and and uh you know it there's a whole preparation which is getting our egos tired, you know, getting our bodies tired, everything, so that you come up with something that, well, there's no calculation. And usually the thing we learned with <clears throat> making a lot of records is that we now we record everything we do and sometimes we hear something we like and it's only two or three days after. It's, uh, it's, um, so it's a long process. It's not the thing you th- think is interesting when you make it that, that's the most interesting is the thing that's unfamiliar and alien yeah like Bongo said mm. well you know for those first three records I, at least in America there was a, a kind of a underground indie buzz but this album Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix is really the breakthrough that's introduced you to to a wider audience here was there a particular goal going into making this one that was different from its predecessors or, or what was what, 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 were on, what was on your mind when you started uh, working on this one well, we we were really confident in the fact that 
because we wanted to start without a record company and finish without one too. I guess to have a good pressure and to feel like it was the first record again. And uh, also we were really confident in the fact that we didn't want to please everyone. We always thought that when you want to please everyone, you're dead. You know, there's no... Mm. It's, mm. it's uh, And uh, so we made something that, that was very... You know, it felt like a commercial suicide at some point. It felt like talking about friends list, doing Love Like a Sunset, a very long instrumental song, mm. and things... We thought it would talk to only people that were hardcore fans and but we knew we could reach them because of internet and every, and mm-hmm. everything and then it's when we did a record that's that was supposed to talk to the less people that that <laughs> that it talked to the most so uh for for us we we took it as the best you know it, it was such a great surprise and it was such a yeah it came out of nowhere really yeah to ask you i wanted to get back Thomas. you must mention that song like love like a sunset which is actually a two-part uh song kind of in the middle of the record and to some people i think it might have been like a, a kind of an odd move and i saw it once i started listening to the album as an album as opposed to just a collection of songs it made a lot of sense to me and it occurred to me that you guys are making out al- you're still making albums here we are in the mp3 download a, a song you know at a time age and this is meant to be heard as an album, and I saw that as sort of the mid-album palate cleanser, the kind of you know, end of side one. Let's yeah. we're going to side two. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> That's so, what I was saying earlier about yeah. creating that space. Yeah. What a great headphone song, you know. Yeah. It's like Roxy Music Avalon, or or uh, or a lot of Air's best moments. So that that's yeah, just you what could you couldn't be more right because we <clears throat> Avalon was one of the references. I mean, at some point I forgot that. Roxy Museum made a record called Avalon and I came to see them and I said, I have the album title. It's Avalon. <laughs> and everyone laughed. And I was like, oh, fuck, it exists. All the best so- titles are taken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, Love Like a Sunset was, we grew up with, uh, we still think when we do the track listing, we still think in terms of vinyls. And we also like records that are really short, which was a problem when we, st- when we did our first and second record the record company was so upset that that our records were so short and you know it was the time where it was endless hip hop records with 23 mm-hmm. tracks and and 20 interludes and, and yeah. um and skits so you guys don't have any skits in between your uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yes yeah it's uh we really think in terms of albums and i think it's not it's not a contradiction because you can still make you know i like when a record is very, you can identify a song really strongly. It belongs to a family of songs. It belongs to this album, but you can listen to it separately, and uh, and it it takes the whole thing to another level when you play the whole record, and it's it's really like storytelling. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, how about another song, guys? Yes. So it's 1901. <laughs> Can 
1901. I love that song. We love this band. <laughs> Phoenix on Sound Opinions. Who's the boy you like the most? Is it teasing you with underage? Gentlemen, Thomas, Deck, Laurent, Christian, thank you so much for coming into Sound Opinions. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to the entire live performance by Phoenix in our studio, visit soundopinions.org. And we want to invite you to share your musical opinions on the air. Call 888-859-1800. You can also email, interact at soundopinions.org, or connect to us on Facebook or Twitter. Greg and I will be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media with our review of the latest album by soul artist Betty LeVette. Only the love can make it rain Like when the beach is kissed by the sea Only the love can make it rain Welcome back to Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media. That is soul singer Betty LeVette, recorded live in 2008 at the Kennedy Center Honors, covering the Who's Love, Rain, or Me, in uh, tribute to Pete Townsend. Really opened a lot of people's ears to Betty LeVette, although, Greg, she's been doing this for Mm -hmm. 50 years. Born just outside Detroit, she had a major label career at age 16 on Atlantic Records, and then up and downs followed one after another for four decades after that. She's done time on tiny indie labels. She's been on the majors. She's been the next big thing for fans of Northern Soul for so long it's not even funny. But it really wasn't until early in this new decade that she finally connected with a a genuine audience very excited about her music. Joe Henry produced I've Got My Own Hell to Raise in 2005, came out on the anti-label, which really specializes in reviving careers that have been unfairly overlooked for a very long time. 
covering songs by the likes of Elton John, Willie Nelson, Amy Mann, Sinead O'Connor. Betty Levette really opened people's ears and won a dedicated following. Now comes this new album, Interpretations, the British Rock Songbook. Includes that Live from the Kennedy Center song by The Who and a lot of other covers of classic rock staples mm-hmm. from England in, you know, in the 70s and the 60s. You got the Moody Blues, you got some Led Zeppelin, you got some Pink Floyd. Let's hear a track and we'll come back and rate this album on our buy it, burn it, trash it scale. This is Betty Levette covering Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here from the new album Interpretations on Sound Opinions. Oh, how I wish you were here You are just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl Year after year And now I'm running over that same old ground What have I found? The same hope is How I wish you were with her cover of Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here from her new album, Interpretations, the British Rock Songbook on Sound Opinions. Jim, it pains me to say this because I'm a huge Betty LeVette fan. I thought that Joe Henry and her did a wonderful job on that comeback record in 2005, I've Got My Own Hell to Raise. I thought Patterson Hood of the Downtown Truckers did a wonderful job in collaborating with her on the scene of the crime, her 2007 album that was recorded down in the South. On this one, I think she misses the mark. And I'm not sure who to blame, because Betty LeVette is a very strong-willed individual. Yeah. And she knows exactly what she wants. Nobody forced her or coerced her into making this record. These are songs that mean something to her. But I feel like the backing band and the producers really didn't stand up to her in any way in this record. They just kind of, you know, sat back. And all of the songs had that similar kind of slow burn, slow tempo 
let's just let Betty be Betty on this record. Yeah, uh, she's yeah. got that voice. It's not a traditional voice. You either love it or you hate it. I think it's it, it's got it, that rasp. Yeah, it's a it's a bruised rasp, as he said. It's not a traditional gospel alto that you would expect from a soul singer, quote unquote. Betty Lovett does her own thing. But all of these songs sort of sit in the same place. She takes all sorts of liberties with the melodies. I think people who are fans of this music, these classic rock songs, are going to be really disappointed. Like, where is the song? Like, yeah. you know, I, I've lost the song here. And I'm all for her reinterpreting these things. God knows I don't want note-for-note interpretations. But I feel there should have been some variation in the tempos in this record. There's not enough friskiness here. There's not enough of that Betty Lovett humor and yeah. bite and anger. I feel like all of these songs are kind of about lonely, desperate little moments. And after a while, it gets a little wearying, frankly. Well, I, I'm so glad that you said that first, because I thought I was going to be out on the limb here in giving this a trash it, because, I mean, you don't want to disrespect the woman. She's got a great voice, fascinating story, and she deserves to be heard, but she deserves better material. Greg, part of the problem is, if you're going to cover Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here is such a predictable song. Yeah. been covered a million times. You're going to cover Led Zeppelin. You're going to do All My Love from late in their career when they were aiming for an FM radio hit. Why does love got to be so sad? Mm-hmm. It was lousy in the original version. Now you're going to repackage it and do an inferior version. Very uninspired. It just never kicks in, and I've got to stick with the trash it. And you? Double trash it, Jim. I hate to say it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, Greg or I like to take a trip to the desert island, get lost there, and pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox. Greg, your turn. Jim, I was inspired by our conversation with Phoenix. We were joking with them about the idea of French rock being sort of an oxymoron. You really couldn't put those two words together without causing a chuckle. Until this last wave of, of this previous decade, which has, you know, certainly set the course towards a credible French rock scene. But there were a couple of exceptions, and I'm going to play one of them as my Desert Island Jukebox pick. In the late 80s, there was a band out of Paris called Mano Negra that was started by Manu Chao. A lot of people may know this guy because of his solo career. David Byrne has been a huge champion of him. He is a Paris-born artist of Spanish parents and created this mongrel band with uh, various influences, not only French uh, musicians, but Arabic musicians, Spanish musicians, and they, and they sang songs in three languages, Arabic, French, and Spanish. I saw this band live, and they blew me away, an octet bringing together all sorts of influences. Uh, they were very influenced by The Clash and the early hip-hop revolution, but in addition, flamenco, rye music from Algeria, rockabilly, early rock and roll, mixing it all up into this highly upbeat, up-tempo hybrid that really was the exception to that rule about French rock. This band genuinely did rock. In fact, they opened tours for people like Iggy Pop and the Ramones, and everybody went away from it saying, wow, these guys are amazing, setting off the solo career that Manu Chao would later have. They made several great records. The best one, I think, is Puta's Fever. It came out in 1989, and the signature track on that record is a song called Malavita, which translated means bad life. He's singing about this woman that he's leaving behind because she gave him a bad life. But it is just so exuberant, so up-tempo, you can't help but dance to it. Malavita from Mano Negra on Sound Opinions. 
Porque trato yo también Cuando tú me hablas Toma un cabrón Tana mía Corazón está sufriendo Tana mía por favor Sufriendo Malnutrición Me está dando Me está dando Mala vida Cádiz se la trae mi corazón Dime tú por qué trato yo también Cuando tú me Malavita by the band Mono Negro, Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox pick. Nice one, Greg. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, the surprising history of the electronic instrument called the vocoder. We have some thank yous to say on the way out. Mary Gaffney recorded Phoenix. Sound Opinions is produced by our ace team of Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn, the Toma Mars and Sofia Coppola of this endeavor, <laughs> and our executive producer and fearless leader, Tori Southside Malakia, just has not been able to stop crying since the news about Bono's back. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. He was a mind weaver, always on the phone, telling me all sorts of words of his own. Although his voice was sweet to me, I wondered... If we could ever be New messages This is Josh from Texas 
And I just heard your show where you were talking to the uh, fish head and giving him a, a prescription. I noticed that he liked Minus the Bear, but didn't really dig Dan Deacon. And I just wanted to give the uh, counter to that. I used to be hugely into fish when I was in high school. Then discovered, you know, indie rock stuff and kind of got into that more. And I found Dan Deacon and just loved him. I saw him recently tour for the Bromst album, and it was really great. His live show is just amazing. At one point, he made the crowd have a dance contest, and then we did the thing where you dance through a bridge that the, the crowd makes. So I just wanted to say that I agreed with uh, the Dan Deacon prescription, and um, love the show, guys. Have a good one. Hey guys, it's Graham from Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to love the National, but I just can't. I think the kids are in trouble. Do not know what all the troubles are for. Give them ice for their fever. You're the only thing I ever want anymore. On coffee and flowers Try not to wonder what the weather will be I figured out what we're missing Tell you miserable things after you are asleep I agree that the record sounds better than the, uh, the live stuff because when I've seen it live, it just sounds terrible. The guy's voice really turns me off. I want to love him because they sound a lot like editors, a great British band that nobody seems to even know about here. And in three albums, they've actually changed quite a bit into some more techno sort of stuff. Anyway, thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. My name is Sydney. I live in Durham, North Carolina, and I would just like to thank you for doing the Janelle Monet review because I discovered her on iTunes when her singles Cold War and Tightrope were released, and I knew she was fantastic. And I think the R&B world has kind of needed a breath of fresh air for a little while, and I think she is the perfect person to give it to them. Thanks. Bye. No more messages.
To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.